Are you a child of God this morning? Say, yes, I am. I wonder where I got that, huh? Amen. You ever have one of those mornings when things just don't go quite right? I think I'm having one of those, amen? (laughs) But God's still good, amen? He's good all the time, no matter what we're dealing with. Uh, Let me ask you this morning, how many had a great Easter? Okay, how many really had a good Easter? We all had a good Easter, amen? Well, let me say happy week after Easter. You know, as a church, we build up things so much leading up to Easter. We just finished a... uh, a series on the seven last sayings of Jesus while he hung upon the cross leading up to the resurrection. But this morning, what I want to talk about is what happened uh, after that. We're going to talk about the Holy Spirit this morning. Because believe it or not, after Jesus died, he was resurrected. After he ascended uh, to heaven, guess what happened? He sent back his Holy Spirit to this earth. And I might say when I talk about the Holy Spirit, there are a whole lot of different perceptions, and I'll say some misconceptions uh, about the Holy Spirit. People have different ideas. Uh, Some of you think when I say Holy Spirit, oh boy, they're going to bring out the snakes. Yeah. (laughs) We're not going to do that. We don't do that. And if you brought your snake this morning, keep it in the bag. Amen. Your neighbor's going to appreciate it. But the church I grew up in, actually, they put a lot of emphasis on the Holy Spirit. When they talked about the Holy Spirit, they didn't even call it the Holy Spirit. We call it the Holy Ghost. It sounds a little bit spooky when you think of the Holy Ghost. Some churches don't talk about it hardly at all. Others talk about it, I think, maybe a bit too much. But later I realized I was going to a church that talked about the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost, most of the time. And I think the problem was the Holy Spirit became almost their entire ministry. Who had the Holy Ghost? Who didn't? And what I mean by that is who spoke in tongues and was saved and who didn't speak in tongues and wasn't saved. And speaking in tongues was their gauge whether or not you had the Holy Spirit or not. And I would say even to this day, from what I've heard, there are still some in that uh, uh, denomination that uh, have this unspoken rule that you call different ones brother and sister so-and-so only if they've had that experience, have spoken in tongues and evidenced uh, the Holy Spirit by that. I think when I hear that, that borderlines on a pride issue, which I can't believe God would be even pleased with. And not to bash anybody, there were a lot of great things in the background I came out of, but a lot of those same people that claimed to have the Holy Spirit and be filled with the Holy Spirit were some of the most negative, the most critical, the most backbiting people you would ever want to meet or not want to meet, you might say. Um, And I thought, that's kind of crazy. Because if they were filled with the Holy Spirit, I would think that their flesh would come under subjection of that same Spirit. So I grew up having a lot of unanswered questions when it came to the Holy Spirit, especially when the main purpose of the Holy Spirit is to build unity in the body of Christ, which is kind of ironic when you realize all the division and confusion that that there is between churches even when it comes to the Holy Spirit. I would say you guys are a unique bunch. We are, as Victory Church, a unique bunch of people. I think we're a dynamic church, and I believe the Holy Spirit has been bringing you and I together for years uh, to worship together, even from all different kinds of backgrounds. You name it, we've got it represented in this building. We've got people from the Catholic background. We've got Baptists, Methodists, Pentecostals, Presbyterians, Lutherans, Amish. You name it, we have it here. Uh, we've had people who have been in charge of Christian ministries basically ask the question, how can this even work? How can that work? It shouldn't work. 
Let me tell you how it works and how I believe and why I believe it works is because the power of the Holy Spirit is making it work. The power of the Holy Spirit is here, yeah. Some of you grew up, as I said, in, in churches where the Holy Spirit was never mentioned. Others of you grew up in churches where the Holy Spirit was the star of the show. And it was all about the Holy Spirit. Even though if you know anything about the Holy Spirit, His main role is to point people to Jesus. It's not to take credit for Himself. It's not to take glory on Himself. himself. It's to point people uh, to Jesus. I grew up in a church, as I said, that also had an ongoing debate, it seemed like. Whether or not... Um, you believed in the Trinity or whether you believed in oneness. And by oneness, I believe in Jesus only. It's what they were all about. I'm a simple man. And the only way I can explain things is in a simple way. So I think of the Godhead, the Trinity, as an egg. Think of an egg. It has three parts. It has a shell. It has a white. It has a yolk. But it's one egg. It's the same egg. God manifests himself in three parts, but they're one and the same. God the Father. God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. This is kind of a deep subject, and it's deeper than any of our minds can go, so I'm not going to pretend I know everything about the Trinity and all that goes on there. But this is a subject we might end up doing a Bible study on sometime so we can get a little bit more in depth. But today, my main goal is just to broaden your hearts, broaden your minds to who the Holy Spirit really is. Um, my prayer today is that you'll open your minds. You'll open your hearts, you'll open your Bibles, and you'll open yourself in prayer to God to let Him reveal who the Holy Spirit is. When you think of the word Trinity, break it apart. You've got the three-letter word tri in the beginning, which means three. You've got the word uni in the back end of the word, which means one. So it's three and one. And I know there are going to be people here, people here that say, well, you know, the word Trinity is not even in the Bible. And they're right. The word Trinity is not found anywhere in the Bible. But take a look at this scripture goes all the way back to the book of Genesis. It says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The heavens and the earth. Do you realize that we have the English version of the Bible, and a lot of times you can only get the real meaning of what God is saying if you go back to the original language which God spoke it in and gave it in, was the Hebrew language? So it says in the Hebrew word, it says, In the beginning, Elohim. Elohim, which is the name of God, the plural form of God. And what makes that the plural form of God is the I am on the end. It gives what was singular a plural form. It's like taking, for example, cherub. We know that a cherub is one angel. Cherubim are several angels. We know that a seraph is one angel. We know that seraphim are several angels. Well, the word El is the singular form of God, like El Shaddai. The singular form of God. Elohim is God in the plural. Which really, whether we believe it or not, or we identify it or not, it represents the Trinity. God in three persons. God, in the, God the Father, Holy Spirit. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. We may disagree on how that looks and what the, all that is. But whether or not we're supposed to be led by the Spirit is not in question at all because the Bible says as followers of Christ, we are supposed to be led by the Spirit. Amen? Hence the word followers. Amen? We are to be led by God. We're to be led uh, by His Spirit. So today I want to look up scriptures or talk about scriptures that prove without a doubt that the Holy Spirit is absolutely, completely necessary and essential for us to live the life that God has called us to live. 
I believe he wants to fill all of his children with the Holy Spirit so that you and I can live supernatural lives that are able to be pleasing to him, and I believe in every way. Uh, I don't know if you remember back in February of this year, some of you snowbirds were in Florida and uh, uh, wouldn't realize this, but we had two of the coldest winter nights we've ever had, where the wind chill was down around 40 to 50 below zero, and that night we lost our power. At home, our power went out. We were awoken by our smoke detector out in the hall giving us an indication that our power was out. So we called the power company. That's what you do. Of course, you never can get them. So we left a message on the answering machine, on our answering service. And within 30 minutes, our house started to get a little colder. Cheryl and I were lighting candles throughout the house. And, and the fireplace propane tank was empty because I didn't do what Cheryl told me to do and fill it up before winter. <laughs> That really went over big at 3 o'clock in the morning with no heat. <laughs> and come 5 o'clock, we still had no electricity. Uh, we were cold. We couldn't even make coffee to warm up. The power was out. Cheryl and I, by that time, were turning on each other. No, we weren't. <laughs> we were just having an intense moment of fellowship. I mean, that's what we were doing. We didn't even want to let the dogs in or out. We didn't even want, they wanted inside, they wanted out, but we weren't going to let the heat out of the house or the cold in. So we just put on more sweat clothes, sweatpants, sweatshirts, and got under the covers. But about 8 o'clock, the lights come flickering back on, and I'll just say I was doing a hallelujah dance there. That's right. I mean, Cheryl and I jumped up. We're turning on every switch we can turn on. We're turning on TV, the radio, definitely making coffee. I believe she even got out the ironing board and started ironing because we could. Amen? <laughs> what I'm saying is our house came back to life. That moment that the power came on, it changed everything. The second the power came on, the house just came back to life. That's my electricity story. Let me ask you today, is that your Holy Spirit story? Is that your Holy Spirit story? Think about it. If the Holy Spirit wasn't in your life today, would you even notice it? If the power of the Holy Spirit wasn't in this church, would we know it? Would we realize it? Or would it be business as usual? Listen to what A.W. Tozer wrote. He's an evangelist who wrote the classic book, In Pursuit of God. He says this. He says, if the Holy Spirit was withdrawn from the church today, that's us, 95% of what we do would go on. No one would even know the difference. If the Holy Spirit had been withdrawn from the New Testament church, 95% of what they did would stop, and everyone would know the difference. You know, when we read about the people in the Bible, they knew that they couldn't even begin to have church without the Holy Spirit. Amen? So my prayer is today that we will open our hearts and our minds and that every one of us will get a real, genuine revelation and have a real, genuine encounter with the Holy Spirit for who He is. In John chapter 3, Jesus is trying to explain who the Holy Spirit is to a religious guy, um, from a, to a religious leader, you might say. This is how he explains it. He explains the Holy Spirit as the wind. Listen in verse 8. The wind blows, Jesus says, wherever it wants, just as you can hear the wind but can't tell where it comes from or where it is going. And then in Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit comes on the day of Pentecost, it says this, suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven. So of all metaphors for God to use, for Jesus to use, why does he say the wind? I think he says the wind mainly because the wind is something you can't see, but you can feel. You can't grab a hold of it, but you can see its effect. I think Jesus is saying the Holy Spirit is just like that. He's not physical, but he's tangible. You can't see him. You can't grab a hold of him, but you can experience him, and you can see the difference 
that he makes. That is the Holy Spirit. I think one of the reasons that whenever we talk about the Holy Spirit, we get a little bit nervous, we get a little bit uncomfortable, is because we like to control things. Uh, We like to contain and control things, and you can't contain the wind. You can't control the wind. I believe some of us, whether we admit it or not, are control freaks at times, just sometimes. Maybe all the time sometimes. Cheryl's uncle Greg, he packed up one day, got a whim, and decided he's going to move from Indiana to Florida. He bought a sailboat. It was a top-of-the-line sailboat. It was so nice that he even lived on that sailboat for a couple of years. He took classes on sailing. He spent a lot of time talking to other people with sailboats, and he just traveled around sailing. No matter how much time, energy, and money he spent, there was one thing that mattered the most when he wanted to go somewhere. Can you guess what that might be? The wind. If you've got a sailboat, you depend upon the wind. The job of the sail is actually to catch that wind. The job of the sail is to receive the wind. And when the wind fills the sail, the boat has the power to go in the direction of that wind. Let me just say it's not our job to actually determine which way we want the wind to blow. It's our job to adjust the sail in the direction that the Holy Spirit wind is already blowing. That's my prayer today is, Lord, help me lead this church. Lead this church by adjusting my sail to the direction of your wind. You know, I want to look today at the person of the Holy Spirit, not just as a power, not just as an energy out there, but as a person. Jesus introduces us to the Holy Spirit in John chapter 14. In this text, you're going to find that Jesus is here at the end of his life. He's about to ascend into heaven, and he wants his followers to realize that, yeah, he's leaving. Yes, he's leaving, but he's not going to leave them alone. Look what it says in verse 16. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him. But you know him because he lives with you now and later will be in you. If we go back to verse 16, Jesus says, and I will ask the Father and he will give you another. I want to stop right there on that word another, because this is big, especially when you realize Jesus is saying this, another. That word another actually means the same. The other means the same. The word another is actually the Greek word elos, which actually means another of the same kind. So what's God saying? He's saying, I'm going to send another exactly like me. I'm going to send another one just like myself. Now, if uh, you know any sets of identical twins, they can confuse you sometimes. Amen? I know Eliza and Angela back there uh, always confuse me. I mean, they look so much alike. I can be talking to Angela for about a minute, and she'll finally say, you know I'm not Eliza, right? Oh, yeah, I knew that. No, I didn't know that. They're so much alike on the outside, but on the inside, I know without a doubt they have differences. The inside, they have different passions, personality, interests. But Jesus isn't saying that the Holy Spirit is his identical twin. It's bigger than that. It's stronger than that, more powerful than that. He's saying the Holy Spirit is exactly, precisely like me. So when we know and understand Jesus, he says we should know and understand the Spirit. The thing is, with the Holy Spirit, we're not just getting Jesus' light. We're actually getting someone equal to the Father, equal to the Son, whose function and design is to dwell on the inside of us as believers. So what I'm saying is the Holy Spirit is not an it. Amen? It's not an it. The Bible never describes the Holy Spirit as an object or a thing. It says he is a he. Jesus was saying the Holy Spirit is going to be just like 
me or just like God. So what I'm saying is he's not a substitute for God, right? The Holy Spirit is God. And the Holy Spirit is not a gut feeling. It's not goosebumps. You sometimes hear people say, I've got the Holy Ghost goosebumps. It's not goosebumps. It's not an it. It's the person of God. The Holy Spirit is a person. But I think as human beings, we have a tendency to think when we think of the Holy Spirit as an it rather than a who. And I think the biggest reason is because of the name itself, the Holy Spirit. Sometimes we have a hard time identifying with something that has that kind of a name, the Holy Spirit. But when Jesus described the Holy Spirit, he didn't call it an it. He called it a he or a him. He used masculine pronouns. But with us, it's still, I think, natural for us to tend to think spirit and think it. But the Holy Spirit is not an it. It's not a thing. He's not an impersonal force that we can call on like a genie in a bottle. He's a person. He's the person of God. And I think this is such an important principle for us to get deep down into our hearts today. A man by the name of R.A. Torrey writes this. He says, if you think of the Holy Spirit as a thing, a mere influence or power, then your thought will be, how can I get a hold of the Holy Spirit and use it? But if you think of him in the biblical way as a person of divine majesty and glory, your thought will be, how can the Holy Spirit get a hold of me and use me? Big difference, right? It changes everything when you get the Holy Spirit into perspective. And I think the Holy Spirit is really a description, just like we've got God the Father, we've got God the Son, it's God the Holy Spirit. And it's critical that we see him as a person because you can't have a relationship with a thing. Think about that. You can't have a relationship uh, with a thing. So what constitutes something being a person? You can only have a relationship with someone that is a person. We're all sitting on chairs today, right? Well, what constitutes that chair not being a person? You might say, well, it's not alive. It doesn't have life, and it doesn't. But what about a tree? It has life. Does that mean it's a person? What makes a person a person? A person has a personality, right? A person has a mind. A person has a will. A person has emotions. So I want to look at a few examples today that give us an idea of how the Holy Spirit can be personal, how the Holy Spirit can be and is a person. The first reason, if you're taking notes, is the fact that he has a will. The Holy Spirit has a will. Look what it says in Acts 16, verse 6. Next, Paul and Silas traveled through the area of Phrygia and Galatia because the Holy Spirit had prevented them from preaching the word in the province of Asia at that time. Well, if you catch this, it was the Holy Spirit that prevented Paul and Silas from doing something. It was the Holy Spirit that exerted his will upon Paul and Silas. And here's my main point. The Holy Spirit's will is actually the will of God. So how can we know the specific will of God? Do you realize that the Bibles that we have are the will of God? If you want to know anything about lying, it's in this book. If you want to know anything about stealing, it's in this book. If you want to know anything about uh, your relationship with your spouse, it's in this book. If you want to know about raising kids, it's in this book. It's the general will of God. If you want to know which job to take, pray about it. I believe you can find the answers in that word. Which house to buy. Whether or not you're following the will of God is in that book. The Bible actually shows us how to get to know the principles and the character of God. But over here, the Holy Spirit helps us to get to know God. Yeah, over here, the Bible might tell us and help us get to know uh, the principles and character of God. But it's the Holy Spirit that genuinely helps us realize who the Holy Spirit really is. In the Old Testament, if you remember, the Holy Spirit would come on certain individuals, and they would come, they would te preach, teach, they would prophesy the word of the Lord, then they would depart. But think about how everything changed when Jesus came to this earth 2,000 years ago, and Jesus stayed, 
The good news is He came for all of us. He came for everyone. The good news is we can all have the Holy Spirit now. The good news is we can all hear from God. We don't have to go to a priest to hear from God. We don't have to go to a prophet to hear from God. We don't have to go to a pastor to hear from God. Many times we think we have to go to a pastor or a priest. We ought to first go to God. Amen? I'm not against going to a pastor or a priest for certain things, but our first choice should be God. We should realize that we can go to God. God has made a way, and we can now possess the Holy Spirit because He's living on the inside of each one of us as believers. Think about the Lord Jesus when He was on this earth. He was limited. Some people say he wasn't limited. He was limited in the sense that he could only live in the body that he was given when he was born on that Christmas night. Jesus could only be as a man one place at a time. But think about the Holy Spirit. It doesn't work that way at all. With the gift of the Holy Spirit, he can be everywhere whenever. He can be in every Christian everywhere at any time. In fact, it says he can be within us always, even to the end of the earth, Matthew 28, verse 20. So we can hear from God because he is living within us through the presence of his Holy Spirit. And the truth is we can't have a relationship, a personal relationship with someone through someone else. You can't have a personal relationship with God through me. I can't have a personal relationship with God through, through you. We have to have our own personal relationship with God. The second thing that identifies the Holy Spirit as being personal is the Holy Spirit can be lied to. In Acts chapter 5, and many of you know this story, it's about a a husband and wife named Ananias and Sapphira. They sold a piece of property. They they told everyone they were giving all the proceeds to the church, but they didn't. They kept some for themselves. And that wasn't the problem. If you read the text, they didn't have to give anything to the church. The problem was they lied about it. And Peter knows about it. Peter addresses Ananias and Sapphira, Acts chapter 5, verse 3. He says, you lied to the Holy Spirit, so the Holy Spirit can be lied to. And you kept some of the money for yourself. In verse 4, Peter says, how could you do a thing like this? You weren't lying to us, but to God. Did you catch this? Peter is actually interchanging Holy Spirit with God. They're one in the same. They're interchangeable with Peter in the way he put that. Peter addressed Ananias and Sapphira, and if you know the story, they died because of their sin. And I'm thinking about this and wondering, why did they do that in the first place? I know why they did it. They did it because of what you and I do a lot of times. We want to impress people. We want people to think we're more generous than we are. We want people to think that we're more spiritual than we really are at times. And in doing so, they lied to the Holy Spirit. Well, you might say, well, I'd never do that. Well, how about when we come in here on a Sunday morning and we uh, raise our hands and we sing all these worship songs and then we go home and we rail on our wife uh, in a fit of rage? We're not only sinning against her or lying to her, we're actually lying to the Holy Spirit living on the inside of us. What about when we take communion and uh, experience God's grace and His mercy, yet at the same time, sometimes we're taking communion and we've got uh, a bitterness or a hatred or an anger within us towards someone that's hurt us? Or maybe when we say we're going to pray for someone, we even put it on Facebook. Praying for everybody, sending up prayers, and we have no intention of praying at all. Or maybe we tell somebody, I don't have any problem with sin, we go home and watch pornography. Or maybe we act like a loving husband at church, and we go home and we treat our wife with indifference. The list goes on and on and on and on and on, but these are just a few ways that we can pretend that we're more spiritual than we really are. And the point I'm trying to drive home is that when we do these things, We're not just sinning against those people. We are not just lying against those people. We are lying to the Holy Spirit, which is a whole lot bigger than that. 
And number three, the Bible also says the Holy Spirit can be grieved. If you're a parent, you know what I'm saying when there's a difference between getting angry with your kids and being grieved by your kids. Amen? It's one thing when your kids make you mad. It's another thing when they break your heart. And when you're angry with your kids, a lot of times it doesn't take long to patch that up. But when your kids grieve you, sometimes that wound goes deep. Sometimes it takes days, weeks, months, years to heal. Look what Paul says in Ephesians 4 verse 30. And do not grieve. Some translations say bring sorrow. But do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. So what grieves the Holy Spirit? Sin. He goes on in verse 31. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. You know, when I read that and I understand that the way that I live my life can actually grieve the Holy Spirit, guess what it does for me? Helps me to see Him in a more personal way. Helps me to understand Him in a more personal way. Because you can't offend or grieve someone that's not a person. You can't grieve, like I said, a force or a power. You can only grieve a person. You know, a lot of us talk to Siri on our phones to get information, right? Uh, You can say, okay, Siri, I think you're ugly. You're not going to upset Siri. Amen? He might throw a comment back at you. (laughs) Okay, Siri, I think you're ugly. You're not going to offend him because he's not a person. The Holy Spirit is spoken about as having feelings and emotions in the Bible. And what was it I said that grieves the Holy Spirit? It's sin. He's not comfortable with sin. And he will not work in an atmosphere of sin. And if you know anything about the word grieve, when you break it down, it actually is a love word because you can only grieve someone who loves you. Oh, you can make an enemy angry. Um, You can agitate or irritate a stranger, but you can only grieve someone who already loves you. And I said all that to say, so when the Holy Spirit, when the Bible tells us the Holy Spirit can be grieved, it's because he loves you. It's because he loves us. He loves a relationship that he wants with us. I remember years ago, whenever I'd make my dad mad, and that happened once in a while, that would bother me. But whenever I would do something and dad would look me straight in the face and said, son, I'm so disappointed in you, that tore me up. That was the worst because it's one thing to break the rules. It's another thing to break a heart. You know, religion tells us to keep all the rules and we know that as hard as we try, we can never keep all the rules. But once you understand the personal nature of the Holy Spirit, you'll know the difference between breaking rules and breaking hearts and breaking the Holy Spirit's heart, breaking God's heart. And it changes everything when we think of the Holy Spirit as actually being a person with emotions, with feelings. The last thing, number four, is the Holy Spirit can be your friend. Go back to verse 16. It says, and I will ask the Father, Jesus says, and he will give you another advocate. Another word for advocate is comforter, helper, friend, who will never leave you. Have you ever wondered what it would be like to have a friend that was always there when you needed them? Always there to help you whenever you had troubles, whenever you had needs? And I mentioned this a few weeks ago, but surveys show that loneliness is one of the greatest problems that we face. So when Jesus ascended into heaven after his resurrection, he sent us a friend. He sent us a friend that would never leave us nor forsake us, and that friend is the Holy Spirit. And Jesus is saying, just as I was your friend and your helper, the Holy Spirit will be your friend and your helper. No, he's not a human being, a human person. He's the spirit of the living God. And he says, and this is so special, we don't even realize that he can be your friend. The Holy Spirit can be your friend. You know, in the earthly realm, 
A friend is someone that will tell you what you need to hear even when they know it hurts. Amen? Think about that. I mean, your friends have your best interest at heart. Your friends want the best for you. Jesus says this. He said, it is better for you that I go away because if I do not go, the helper will not come to you. But if I do go away, then I will send him to you. John 16, verse 7. You know, it's only through the Holy Spirit, I believe, many times that He gives us guidance and direction to go where we need to go, when we need to go. I believe He speaks into our heads and gives us, let's just say, insider information about life that we need every day. Kind of reminds me of those TV reporters and and those commentators that have that little earpiece in their ear. You know what that earpiece is used for a lot of times? It helps their director to tell them when a commercial break is coming. It helps their director uh, to tell them of late-breaking news that might hit that they need to report. So this week, I want you to get earnest about prayer and pray that God would help you get tuned into Him to really hear what He's saying. I pray that God would give us a deeper revelation of God. I want you to pray honestly before God. God, I don't understand this whole Holy Spirit thing. God, give me a deeper revelation. Help me to have my eyes open to the person of the Holy Spirit. And let's stop being content with where we're at. Do you realize that with God, there's, you're never there. You're never, ever arri- you've never ever arrived. You've never ever gotten there because God is so big. I'll say His well is deep. It's not so wide. It's deep when it comes to God. So I think when it comes to seeking God, you have to be intentional. It's just not going to happen. It's not going to be an accident. You have to be intentional about finding out the things of God. So how about doing these things? Number one, saturate yourself in His Word. I believe that the Holy Spirit uses God's Word so much to direct us in the way that we're supposed to go. And if we'll just learn to meditate on His Word more, I believe it'll fill up our sails more. I believe we'll realize when the Holy Spirit is beginning to speak to us. So so many times I think we miss that. And number two, speak to God throughout your day. Have an ongoing conversation with God. Back to that scripture in John 3, 8. It says, the wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. Adjusting our sails to the Holy Spirit, I think it means staying in touch with God. I mean, I, I think it means being vigilant to where the, whole, the wind and how the Holy Spirit's winds are blowing. You realize the Holy Spirit's constantly on the move? He's constantly on the move doing something. That's why we need to be constantly attentive to what He's doing. And by part of, part of being able to do that is having an ongoing conversation or a dialogue with God. Paul said it in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 17, pray without ceasing. You know, some of us think, well, that means I need to go out and pray all the time. I need to blab on and on and on and on and on and on. No, it doesn't mean that at all. Part of that is actually listening to God. You realize prayer is actually having a conversation with God. I believe we need to be aware that the Holy Spirit is with us everywhere we go, at school, at work, on the ball field. Wherever we're at, the Holy Spirit is there. The winds of the Holy Spirit are blowing everywhere, not just inside the four walls of a church building. And the last point I want to bring up today is desire the Spirit. If you want more of God, what do we need to do? Desire more of God. If you want more of the Holy Spirit's working in your life, desire more of the Holy Spirit's working in your life. I believe we ought to say, Lord, show me how to love you more. How many times do we pray that during the day? I think that ought to be the first thing we wake up praying. Lord, show me how to love you more. Show me how to find you. Reveal yourself to me. And God wants to be found. But the Bible says, the day you seek me with all your heart, then I'll be found. So it takes some seeking to find God. 
I love how the psalmist put it in Psalms 42, verse 1. He says, as the deer pants for flowing streams. That deer finds drink at the streams. He also finds find safety. But as the deer pants for flowing streams, so, my, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. That's what it really means to seek the Spirit, seek God. Psalm 63, verse 1. O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. As in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So if you'll just saturate yourself with the Word, you'll have an ongoing, continuous conversation with God. If you'll obey and desire the Holy Spirit's promptings, I believe it can change everything. I believe if we'll do all those things, we better buckle up and get ready because we're about to start living and living not our way, but God's way. And it's on a whole different level. And it comes through the Holy Spirit. The greatest gift God ever gave you and me was the greatest gift God gave of Himself and of His Son to you and I was through the Holy Spirit. It was through the Holy Spirit. I believe if we'll trust Him, we'll seek Him, we'll search for Him, we're going to find Him. He promises that. But I would say today, let the fresh wind, not the stale wind, the Holy Spirit's wind isn't stale. We make it stale sometimes. But let the fresh wind of the Holy Spirit blow into your lives and set your lives on course to sail according to His wind, the way His wind is blowing. And when it comes to the Trinity, uh, I don't get hung up on that. I don't know uh, all there is to know about the Trinity. But I do know that we have a Father that loves us. We have a Son that died for us. And we have a Spirit that lives within you and I as believers every day. And for that, I am so eternally grateful. I am so thankful. How about you this morning? I am so thankful. <laughs> Could you stand to your feet this morning? You know, whether we understand it or not, you know, God is a whole lot bigger than we'll ever be. Just keep trusting Him. Don't get in arguments and fights over uh, things that might cause division. Just seek God. Love those that disagree with you. But seek God for the truth and let Him show and reveal to you uh, what He wants to show you in a way that you can share it with somebody and let His Holy Spirit do the work. We're not going to force people to believe what we believe, but if it's what God believes, He can make a way. But he's called us to love those around us. So this morning, if you're with every head bowed, every eye closed, I just want to pray, Lord, help us today. I pray that today we will realize how vital, how crucial, how important your Holy Spirit is in our everyday lives. Father, help us to see how the Holy Spirit gives us the power, the ability to be all that you want us to be. Give us a revelation of how essential your Holy Spirit is to enable the life you have planned and given us to be lived out for you. Lord, I pray that we would see, that we would see you in a whole new way through the presence of your Holy Spirit as the true and faithful friend that you really are. Father, draw our hearts closer to you. Help us be all that we can be and only can be through the power and the presence of your Holy Spirit living in us each and every day. Father, I pray that this message has brought some uh, wisdom to its hearers. I pray that you would do a work in our hearts to realize that we have a friend that sticks closer than a brother. We have a friend that was, is with us in every trial and test and temptation. And that friend is the Holy Spirit. It's God manifested in the flesh. God manifested in the Spirit. We thank you for your goodness and your mercy. We give you praise for changed and transformed life, lives through the power of the Spirit. In Jesus' name, if you agree with that, just say amen with me. Let's give Jesus a hand clap of praise. Hallelujah. God is good. Go out and show the Holy Spirit to the world. Bless you all.